Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, and welcome to the Chosen People radio program. Today, we're going to continue our exciting, beautiful study, really. It's just so heartwarming from the book of Leviticus, and maybe you've never thought of the book of Leviticus being heartwarming, but it really is because it's at the heart of our relationship with God, and it's his holiness, and it's about our sin, and it's about our cleansing and about how we can draw near to God. And we know that that's going to be through uh, Jesus. And so there's a lot to learn in this session. We're going to look at the weekly Torah portion, the portion of the five books of Moses that Jewish people read in the synagogue. And then we're going to add, because we are New Testament people also, and so we're going to add from the Brit Chadashah, that's the New Covenant, the, the New Testament. And we're going to speak about how this is fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah and the relevance that it really has in our walk with God each and every day. And so with me is my good friend and colleague, Bobby Walter, who leads our Brooklyn branch and leads a Messianic congregation. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to the program with us. As Mitch mentioned, we are going to continue our study here through the uh, weekly Torah portion, as well as the other passages. And we're in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8, through chapter 8 and verse 36. Now, Mitch, when I was in Bible college a number of years ago, I was taking a class, a theology class, and the professor started the class out with a question to all the students. He said, if you were stuck on a deserted island or a desert island, you know, what's the right way to say that? Desert Desert island. Desert island. Definitely. Desert islands are always deserted, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were stuck on on a desert island and you could only bring one book of the Bible with you, what book would it be? And, you know, people gave different answers. John, the Psalms, Matthew, you know, and then the professor made a joke. And I was much more, you know, idealistic (laughs) back then. He made a joke. He said, well, I bet none of you would bring Leviticus, right? And everyone laughed. And it really bugged me uh, because (laughs) I, I like Leviticus, you know? So I wound up writing my final paper for that semester on why I would bring Leviticus on a <laughs> desert island. But why, why would I say that? Because there is a lot of richness in many ways. What we read on those pages, once we get past all the, the rigid details about sacrifices and, and priests and, and all these other things, what we begin to unearth and what we begin to learn is that God is clearly laying the foundation for what he would do, what he would accomplish in and through his son Jesus when he came the first time and, and honestly for all eternity. I think that a lot of people would have probably chosen John over Leviticus, Bobby, <laughs> and I think that you need to do some self-examination, you know, honestly. No, I mean, I, I probably would have chosen Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is more narrative and you know, and has more war scenes, you know, and uh, right. which, which which I like. More action. More action. Yeah. But I can tell you Leviticus really is at the core of our faith. It's quoted in the New Testament quite often. And really, without the book of Leviticus, how would anybody ever understand the book of Hebrews? Mm-hmm. And so Hebrews is completely built on the book of Leviticus. And remember, the temple was standing when uh, the book of Hebrews was written. And so it's quite possible 
that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author was, that they were a Jewish believer, but they certainly understood the book of Leviticus. And actually in some Bible colleges, Bobby, they actually combine Leviticus Hebrews Hmm. as the way they they teach both of the books because you can't have one without the other. Our Torah portion for the week is found in Leviticus 6, 8 through 8.36, and this is a great passage, and it is our portion because, as you well know, we are following this wonderful devotional book that we are happy to provide for you free of charge called The Portion, and you can just go to the website that we'll mention a little bit later, and you can get the portion for yourself. And in this portion, in this selection, Moses received instructions of how the priests were supposed to handle their offices and how Aaron and his sons were commanded to keep the fire on the altar burning. Because sacrifices are at the heart of our relationship with God. It was at the heart of the relationship with God of the Old Testament saints. And it's at the heart of our relationship with God for we New Testament saints. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because the sacrifices... Each and every one of them, there are five major sacrifices or types of sacrifices that we were commanded to offer. These all point in one way or another to the Messiah Jesus because the Messiah Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And the detail that you find in Leviticus of how the priest was to cleanse himself and and what they were supposed to wear and how they were supposed to approach the sacrifices. It's all so incredibly detailed. And you can either get bored by these details or like me, you could be fascinated by the details because we have a God who is detailed. And I want to make a very important point for you that you should remember when you're sharing the gospel with Jewish people and even sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people, but particularly with secular kinds of people. Because one of the things that a, a person who doesn't really embrace Jesus, Yeshua as their Messiah, will say, how could you say that there's only one way? And I've had a lot of Jewish people say to me, you can't say there's only one way. You're closed-minded, and you need to be open-minded. There's got to be more than one way to God. Of course, they're not thinking about uh, Judaism. They're saying Hinduism's okay, and Buddhism is okay, and whatever kind of religion you make up is, is okay. But the truth is, is that there is only one way to God, but it actually didn't start with Jesus. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's not where this one-way thing started. It started in the book of Leviticus. You see, there was only one way to God, and that was through the sacrifices. Having one way to God is something that is intrinsically, innately Jewish, because God said that this can only happen one way, and that's through the priests who were the sons of Aaron, very particular, and they were to do it with great detail, and they were to offer a sacrifice in the one place on the altar, and that would be the way that atonement could be made with God. And so one way is one of the great themes of the book of Leviticus. That's right, Mitch. And one thing I absolutely love about this, uh, when we look in Leviticus and we see these sacrifices and we see the priesthood, what's amazing about it is that when we come to the New Testament, all of these things, the sacrifices and the priesthood, it all points to Jesus himself. It all points to this one person, Yeshua. 
And you mentioned the book of Hebrews earlier. One of the author of Hebrews' favorite titles for Jesus is our high priest or our great high priest. Now, obviously, Yeshua, Jesus, was not a Levite. He was a priest described more as from the order of Melchizedek. But time and time again, throughout Hebrews, he's referred to in these terms. So I'm just going to read a few portions here, right? So in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. And then later on, again, in Hebrews chapter 9, and this is probably one of the most powerful passages where we see Jesus fulfilling the sacrifice and the high priestly duty. It says this in Hebrews 9 verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, Okay, so he's, he's appearing as the high priest, right? He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Okay, so this, this tabernacle language, like we've been talking about the past few weeks, uh, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. So we see him as the priest, and now we see him as the sacrifice, through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So, Mitch, like you said, Jesus is this one exclusive path. And the only way that we can understand what those words mean is if we understand the words of Leviticus. Bobby, that was a great explanation of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope you appreciated all of this as well. And again, I hope that you will send for your portion book so that you can really get to know uh, the Old Testament, particularly the five books of Moses, get to know them better. And then you'll be so blessed to see how each and every great teaching of Scripture that you find in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new through Jesus the Messiah. Right now, we're actually going to turn our attention to Dr. James Tor, an inventor who realized that his sin was separating him from God. I got my PhD in the field of organic chemistry, postdoc at Stanford University. Joined the group of a man who was going to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Voted one of the top 50 most influential minds in the world. I was a visiting scholar at Harvard University. I've spoken at Every major university in this country have over 650 research publications. Voted the R&D Magazine Scientist of the Year. I'm in the National Academy of Inventors. I'm a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Over 120 patents. Started seven or eight companies. We work in areas that range from medicine to material science to electronics computer memory, medical devices. We work across a broad range of areas. But more than any of that, what means the most to me is that I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. I grew up just outside of New York City. I thought everybody was Jewish. I didn't even know that there was 
anything else. There was never really any excitement for me. I remember once I even tried to talk to a, a rabbi. He just brushed me off. There was very little explanation for me. I remember uh, when I went to college, I started meeting a number of people that said that they were born-again Christians, which was sort of an odd term. I was, what's born again? What do you mean, born again? One person saw me in the laundry room. He said, do you mind if I give you an illustration of the gospel? And I remember we sat there and he actually started to draw a picture, a cliff with a, with a man on one side and he drew a little man and then another cliff with God on the other side and a big chasm in between that he labeled with sin. And I looked at him, I said, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anyone. I never robbed the bank. How could I be a sinner? And he had me read a verse from the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In modern Judaism, we never really talked about sin. I don't remember ever talking about sin in my home. So he turned to another passage. Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pow! I felt just as if I had been punched right in the chest. Here I was, new in college. I didn't think anybody knew. I would pick up these magazines and I became addicted to pornography. It was just through those magazines. And all of a sudden, something that's written in the Bible, somebody from live, who lived 2,000 years ago is calling me out on it. And I felt immediately convicted and that now I realized I was a sinner. When I read in the scriptures what sin is, then I knew I was a sinner. How am I going to get to God? We Jews know this better than anyone else. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This description in Isaiah 53 of how he will bear upon himself my sin, the things that I had done, and this was him. This was the man that took this upon himself on the cross. The perfect God comes and gives himself for us. He is the one that gives himself for us. I started to realize how Jewish the New Testament is. This book is so Jewish. The New Testament is so Jewish. It's all around Jewish people. And then on November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room. The realization that Yeshua is the one who died on the cross. And I said, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. And then all of a sudden, someone was in my room. And I opened my eyes. I was on my knees. I opened my eyes. Who, who's in my room? That man, Jesus Christ, stood in my room. This amazing sense of God. Jesus was in my room and I wasn't scared. All I started doing was just weeping. The presence was so glorious because he was there in my room on that day. And I didn't want to get up. And this amazing sense forgiveness just started to come upon me. That was him. Finally, I got up. I didn't know what to do. 
didn't know who to tell. Here's this Jewish kid from New York City. What am I going to say? My cousins were shocked. How could you do that? You're Jewish. Telling my mother how I had invited Jesus into my life. She didn't say much. She was weeping. She told my father they weren't happy at all. And she said, I don't blame them for killing Jesus after the things that he said. Who is he to come against these religious leaders that have dedicated their lives to helping people and to tell them that they are whitewashed tombs? Who is he, this young man in his 30s, to say this to these scholars? He got what he deserved. And my mother's a very deep, pensive, careful reader. She read from Genesis right on through the Tanakh, the whole thing. When she got done, I said, what did you think? She said, God warned us over and over again. He warned us. When my daughter was about 15, my mother and father came to visit us. At one point, my mother went into her room for several hours. She came out. She said, quite a young girl you have. She talked to me for a long time. She started reading the Bible again, both the Old and the New Testament. One day, not long after that, she called me on the phone at the age of 72. She said, Jimmy, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I was just reading. And it hit me. It hit me. The way he gave his life. I believe it now. Jesus is the Son of God. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, I've really enjoyed this conversation so far. And when we get on this topic of sacrifices in Leviticus and the Old Testament saints and things like that, I know, like even for me personally, a lot of questions come up in my mind, like how effective were those sacrifices in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Old Testament? Did they really forgive sins and how were they saved? Well, Bobby, thanks for that uh, difficult question. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, you, yeah. In uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not saying that Old Testament saints were any more holy than New Testament saints or vice versa. We all needed something outside of ourselves to make us holy, to make us acceptable to God. And so Paul continues, being justified as a gift by his grace. That's the word I love. God's riches at Christ's expense. Getting exactly what you don't deserve, that's grace. <laughs> and it's through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So that's a reference to the sacrifice of Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That word propitiation, it's a big theological term, but the Greek word is halaskomai, and it refers to an article in the temple, actually in the Holy of Holies. It is a direct reference to the mercy seat. That is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for the mercy seat. And so the mercy seat is the place of propitiation. That's where the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement by the high priest to make atonement for the sins that were not yet forgiven. And so we understand that Jesus is the mercy seat. He's the propitiation. And so he's both priest and sacrifice, and uh, which is, of course, a magnificent truth. But it is in him and through him that we have forgiveness of sin. Wow. So verse 25 then continues, 
and makes an interesting point. And Paul says, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Now listen carefully, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So the question is, how were the Old Testament saints saved? Well, Abraham was obviously uh, saved by his faith because he looked forward uh, to the coming of the Messiah. And one can say the same about the Old Testament saints, that they were obedient to God. They offered sacrifices with sincere and pure hearts. And so God didn't hold their sins against them. And God knew that the only way for sins to be ultimately forgiven was through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his shed blood. And so God basically held judgment in abeyance for those who were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And then when Jesus died, the slate was wiped clean and their sins were forgiven. And so it's not that even Abraham, our dear forefather in the faith, it's not even that Abraham was saved by faith alone. He was saved by faith ultimately in the coming of Jesus and in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's through his shed blood that both Jews and Gentiles, Old and New Testament folks get saved. But for the Old Testament saints, they needed to wait. And God was kind enough in his forbearance to put judgment in abeyance until Jesus died for our sins. And then all those Old Testament saints, their salvation was secured through the shed blood of Christ. So it's not an easy question, uh, Bobby. Again, thank you for asking me that. Next time I'll ask you one like that. <laughs> but it's, it, this is a good way to approach it. And I think Romans 3.25 is really the key to the eternal salvation of Old Testament saints. So take some time this week, folks, and read it and, and pray about it and reflect on it. And I think you'll see that applying this passage to this question is really helpful. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you missed any part of this message, or if you'd like to share it with a friend, you can find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. On our radio homepage, you'll also find tools and resources to help you learn more about the Jewish roots of your faith. And if you're interested in following along with us as we study these weekly portions, let me invite you to request a copy of our new devotional, The Portion, that we mentioned earlier in the program. That's great, Bobby. And friends, if you're looking for a great free resource to help you celebrate Passover next month, be sure to ask us for our book, The Gospel in the Passover, almost 200 pages of information about the Passover and how Jesus fulfills the Passover. And it's really written for anybody who wants to know more about the traditions of Passover and, again, how Jesus fulfilled the Passover sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Amen. You'll even find recipes in the book so you can celebrate the Passover. And actually, we have a little Passover Seder that's intended for Christians and their families. So you can read through it. You can eat the foods and celebrate Passover and then uh, have something to really talk to your Jewish friends about. Some help with recipes, too. So ask for this wonderful resource today, 888-2-YESHUA, 888-293-7482. Or request a copy of the book, The Gospel and the Passover, when you reach out to us at chosenpeople.com offer. That's chosenpeople.com offer. 
And you can also write to us and ask for the book, The Gospel and the Passover, by addressing your envelope to Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. And now, once again, here's Mitch with Misha Getz to wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.